0: When the COVID-19 pandemic was declared earlier this year, Tim Dickinson penned an op-ed for The Australian. In this piece, he described the new payments platform as nation building infrastructure, crucial for our economic prosperity. Tim is the co-CEO of Assembly Payments, the first non-bank to go live on the MPP and an organisation that has now moved more than $4 billion across the platform for its growing client base. I caught up with Tim to find out how Assembly Payments has evolved its MPP-enabled offerings since it launched two years ago and why he's excited about the development of the MPP's mandated payment service. Well, thanks for joining me today, Tim. Thank you. So Assembly Payments was founded in 2013. What was the rationale behind establishing the company? So what specific issues were you looking to address?
1: So, When the, when the founders started, um, what was Promise Pay at the time, which later became Assembly Payments, one of the, the challenges that they kind of seen was it was really hard for people to get paid and know that they were going to be paid. And so the first problem they they set out to solve was was that to help people get paid and so they built a, a set of tools um, around an escrow concept where um, people who wanted work done could put money up to pay people who were doing the work and the people doing the work would know that the money was there and so you didn't have contractors you know not being paid and you know tradies not getting you know invoices paid at the end or jobs going broke and things like that so they wanted to create a system to kind of protect people from these kinds of things and and When the guys kind of set this stuff up, they started to build out um, quite a comprehensive framework of API components and technology layers and connections to different payment methods. And, and before long, they built out this suite of tools that lended itself really well um, to the, the growing base of digital marketplaces and, and things. And They noticed that the, the workflow was pretty much the same. So an individual person wanting to make sure they got paid. That was the problem that a lot of the gig economy type marketplaces were aiming to solve as well. So they kind of shifted into that a little bit, and and that was where I think it, it really got its legs. Then is that they targeted the marketplaces and never really looked back.
0: So when it comes to the MPP assembly payments was an early mover. When did you first go live with the MPP?
1: We were one of the, the we were the first non bank um, to go live on the MPP, and we did our first customer transaction in November of 2018. Um, that was car sales, um, and so they were using it to you know do what car sales does buy and sell cars and so their marketplace component where someone wants to sell a car someone wants to buy a car and they were using mpp to facilitate that transaction and so some of the challenges that people have when they're buying and selling cars is if i send you the money how do i know i'm going to get the car so car sales have built out a whole suite of tools around that and we we powered out the back end with things like the mpp and so that was that was a really cool use case to kind of launch
0: so fast forward now more than two years, how have you since evolved your MPP-enabled services and, and how has your client base expanded?
1: It's, it's funny when you say two years, right, because that that feels like a phenomenal time period and it feels like only a few months ago where we turned MPP on, essentially. Since then, we've moved, oh, we'd be very close to, to $4 billion. In fact, I think we just tipped over in November. So we, we will have moved $4 billion across the MPP um, across a number of different verticals and the growth rate for us has been fantastic and it's continuing to accelerate and and not just because you know we're, we're eating up or cannibalizing a lot of the direct entry volume that we have because people want real time now and it's available so they're jumping on it but also the verticals we've targeted we've seen a lot of growth in that and so one of the ones i'll, I'll talk about um in, in a second is is um prop tech marketplaces is they've, they've had a really big boom and the mpp has been a great enabler of them um, but we've also seen growth in other verticals we didn't expect or we didn't plan to kind of see at the time and, and that's one of the things I really like about it is you can turn this stuff on, you can build these components for people, but being in a space wherein customers bring you the use cases and they kind of get you to rise to the challenge of helping them solve it and, and that's why I think it's really cool is things we didn't know ahead of time that we could solve, things like the MPP, let's just add a tremendous amount of value to.
0: So let's drill into a specific case study now, you mentioned Managed App before.
1: I, I could actually talk about Managed App all day long if you wanted me to but maybe we'll do that another time. But um what they've built is is really world class. I, I love it a lot. Um and we've been part of that that journey since the really early days. And I remember being in some rooms, I think it was in Surrey Hills up in Sydney, mapping out on a whiteboard kind of how it all works and you know we were running them through what their use case is. And it was this really cool moment of two teams of people that had never worked together before, but they both got it. And we knew what they were trying to solve and they knew that we were able to solve it for them. And so So what they were trying to do is reinvent the way that property servicing platforms worked. It's not just collecting rent. It's, it's much more than that. It's the whole property management piece. It's managing the bond, paying the bills, servicing the properties. When you bring all of those pieces together, the payments architecture that sits underneath needs to be quite powerful in order to be nice and flexible and, and when Nick heard that we were going to be rolling at the MPP, he he said, I want to be one of the first. He kind of explained to us some of the challenges that landlords have in coordinating payments across properties and making sure that they then pay their mortgage with the rent that's coming in. And, you know, that a single day delay matters because they could default on their mortgage and things like that. And so it was really nice to be able to solve some real world problems. So, you know, Nick's kind of built that into his his stack now. And, and so all the payments can come in by the MPP and they can go out by the MPP. And one of the cool things for us in a... In a rental marketplace where you've got you know agencies playing part and all these verification mechanisms in place is you can do an end-to-end transaction between five different parties in under 30 seconds. That's cool.
0: Very cool. So moving on to cryptocurrency exchanges, tell me about some of the work that you've done there.
1: The crypto exchanges for, for us are they're a, they're a great one, but we kind of wrap that up into a, a broader subset that we call kind of on-ramp or on-ramp and off-ramp or first mile and last mile. And, and it's, it's not just crypto exchanges, but it's it's remittance platforms, it's FX platforms, it's investment apps and things like that where the speed of liquidity is the thing that they're trying to solve for. And so in the past, payment methods like BPAY, they're a day delay. Direct debits are, you know, one to three days, depending on who you're doing it with. And and you've then got things like the MPP where once you've verified your customer and you know that you can trust the transactions coming in, people can fund immediately. And so for a crypto exchange where... You know there's a lot of activity and there's a lot, lot of buzz and and sometimes it's driven by you know not much else than speculation and things like that but people want to move the money really quick and so we've been able to kind of help a lot of the australian crypto exchange platforms facilitate that as, as well as a lot of remitters too so during COVID, um the ability for remittance platforms to collect payments in australia using mpp and then remit them overseas through their own channels is was quite beneficial
0: you touched on COVID 19 when the pandemic started you had a piece in the Australian, the publication, the Australian, describing the MPP as nation-building infrastructure that can expedite payments across the economy. What are the potential economic challenges you see the MPP playing a role in solving for?
1: It's it is to me it's such a great foundation of our financial system, but most people have no idea what it is or that it even exists. Best and, kept
0: secret, yeah.
1: And I think they I think they should know. But if you compare it to other you know, pieces of the, the national infrastructure like the Snowy Hydro Scheme, right? It's it's something everyone knows about. You can see it. You get a real sense of scale and you understand the impact. But a bunch of computer code moving ledger entries around, that's not so easy to point to and get that, you know, flaw kind of moment that mm-hmm. you get. And I think the MPP is, is worthy of one. You know, for me, it's things like the MPP that they are great enablers of the future business models of letting people solve all problems in new ways. And it just makes the whole of society function a little bit better overall. It's not this single thing that, that sits there and you point it and you go, this thing solved that problem. It's, it's part of the fabric of our society. And it's one of those great things that will sit there in the background and most people won't, won't know about it, but people will write, you know, future case studies on it and say, you know, this was a moment where, we turned some of these old challenges around and this was the, the tipping
0: point. I think, too, for the wider public, you know, people who aren't involved in payments, there's almost a bit of an expectation. What you mean, this doesn't happen. I just thought this does happen. Yeah. So there's not like a, an appreciation for what's happened to enable real-time payments and data-rich payments. And, and
1: you can compare it to other nation-building infrastructure things that are in the technology space, and I won't name them, but people know about some other ones that have not gone so well and they're very critical of it because they feel that it, it touches their home. They use it every day and it's, you know, and they're relying on it to do something and it's not working the way they want. Or the speed thing is always a, a problem for people. And especially people who come from other countries, who, you know, places like Singapore, for example, you know, they, they kind of laugh at us because we still get really excited about the MPP, right? Cause we're mm-hmm. payments nerds, but they've had fast payments for quite some time. And they've also had, you know, fast everything else for quite some time. And it's just normal to them. Whereas, in Australia, we've got very few people across a very large expanse. And for us to roll out any kind of nation-building infrastructure is, is timely and, and, and costly. And, and this one kind of happened under the radar. There wasn't a lot of fuss. There were, you know, comparatively very minor delays in things. And it just works.
0: So turning to the future now um, with the roadmap, which capabilities outlined in the roadmap do you think will be important to, to ensure that we get the most from this vital in infrastructure?
1: I've been keenly waiting for the mandated payment services to roll out so we can start to replace some of our direct debit use cases with the NPS. So for me, it's, it's that the ability to turn around something that's been a a staple of just the way things work in the background for so long and remove some of the problems that exist with it is that's cool. Like we can do some really cool things with, with, you know, mandated payment services and setting up contracts between parties to do payments based on triggers and, and things like that. For us, that's, yeah, that's the, that's the favorite.
0: And I think it's everyone's favorite. It's probably the one thing that <laughs> everyone mentions when I ask the question. Yeah, yeah.
1: Everybody's had an experience where, you know, you've got a direct debit set up on your account. You forget about it. You pay off the credit card debt, the account's empty, and then a direct debit occurs. And you're like, oh, like that's so annoying. And so we can start to get rid of some of those annoyances that exist in the system. And, you know, for me, that's like, it's, you know, it's not game changing at the start, but, it will be game-changing once we start to move away from just the, the direct debit mindset of how this stuff works.
0: And I think if I reflect on the conversation we had a moment ago around, you know, when NPS does become a reality, there will be a small group of people within the industry which will really applaud and, and uh, appreciate the significance of it, but it won't be long until, I guess, once it's rolled out, that it just becomes an expectation again. And I, And in some ways... I, I guess that's the payments industry doing the job that it needs to do, putting in place infrastructure that enables people to not think twice about the payments that they're they're trying to facilitate.
1: Yeah, and I think that's like one of the one of the funny things that at the moment we've had some you know, we had some house renovations done recently, we had a, an air conditioner installed because summer's coming and the house is not well insulated, and so paying that invoice, I had to send the payment to a BSB and account number, and it it wasn't OSCO enabled right so I couldn't pay to it in real time and it's funny how jarring those experiences become so quickly and I know I'm a special case because I'm inside the circle on it, right? but but it was really funny like at that moment where I went to pay and I was like oh that, that's not going to go in real time you do just start to really expect these things to, to be there all mm. the time now so I think you're right it's, it's one of those things everyone will applaud for a couple of days and then go right what's next
0: yes and is there anything that's not on the roadmap
1: the two biggest challenges we continue to see in the financial system, not just the MPP is identity and fraud is managing those two things for a finance system. is absolutely critical because reducing and removing the negative aspects is something we should all be striving for and getting the bad actors out of the system is, is something we should all really want. And I'd like to see, you know, I don't know whether it's more collaboration or just more data ability or just more continuing rollout of what we're already doing, but that regulation data reporting bit around Who is doing the transaction? Is it legitimate? You know, is it potentially fraudulent? I'd really like to see some activity in that space a bit more.
0: Well, it's been great chatting to you today, Tim. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thank you very much. It was was a pleasure.